0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: You know, you've got to think so. Uh, I, a lot of folks are saying we feel like we're going to kind of heal up, if you will. We're going to get uh, uh, a fair amount of rain to finally come through. A lot of the talk of transition out of La Nina into a neutral info and, so, and then actually into uh, El Nino fairly quickly.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily podcast. So Howell joined alongside... Jennifer Holiday, Jennifer, it's been a little while since I've been on a Market Monday conversation, but I'm ready to get back into the swing of things today and chat markets with Matt Bennett coming up here in just a little bit.
2: Absolutely. We are excited to have
0: him on today. We certainly are, because there is no shortage of topics to talk about when you look at commodity markets. We've got crop insurance prices for 2023, spring crop insurance prices set We saw soy meal prices surge today to double digits this morning on reports of crop losses in Argentina. We still don't have a black sea grain initiative finalized between Ukraine and Russia. And so there's a lot of topics we've got to pick his brain on this week. And of course, Commodity Classic is this week. And I know Matt Bennett will be there uh, with agmarket.net. So we'll probably have to get his take on what he's expecting to see down in Orlando this week as well
2: all the great topics to hear. And I'm sure our listeners are super excited to learn more about them all, especially Commodity Classic, that's going to be exciting. It certainly will. I
0: decided last minute, our listeners may have picked up on it. I decided last minute, I think I should go. I probably need to be there. There's some things I've got to take care of. And ultimately, I decided I got to get some good content for our listeners, Jennifer.
2: Absolutely, gotta think of them, and along with you know, just getting some sun too down in Florida. That's true. Yes, I I was I was having a little bit of FOMO, uh,
0: deciding whether or not to go, and decided last week. Okay, I should go. Tanner will be there. He's gonna get some good content. I don't want to miss out, so I'll be there as well.
2: Yes, I am a little jealous. I will be stuck here doing some midterms in the snow and rain. Well, sounds like.
0: We certainly uh, could probably use some rain in some parts of the Corn Belt region here as we're gearing up for planting season, Jennifer.
2: Oh, yes. And that leads me perfectly into my first article that I have for you today on John Deere updating some of their series tractors for 2024. Three precision ag features lead the updates being made to John Deere's seven, eight and nine series tractor for the new model year. These three precision ag features are new Starfire 7000 integrated GPS position receiver, all new G5 plus command center display and available factory installed implement ethernet. The company says its Starfire 7000 receiver features five years of repeatability and 73% faster pull-in times, and is 17% more accurate when using SFRTK when compared to previous models using SF3 signal. SFRTK provides year-over-year repeatability without a base station. Also, signal stability and reliability were improved to offer the highest level of guidance and accuracy ever offered by John Deere. The G5 Plus Command Center display features a 35% larger viewing area and 1080p high-definition video resolution. The G5 Plus Extended Monitor is optional with the touchscreen display and higher video resolution, also being paired with faster processing. So it all sounds like some great technology improvements that I don't necessarily entirely understand, but they're going to do great things. And I do love learning about technology. So hopefully I can learn more about this in the upcoming future. I am wagering to bet we
0: will probably see some of those updates there that you mentioned Uh, discussed at Commodity Classic later this week. So hopefully we will to find a little bit more insight as to what some of those updates are there that you shared with us, Jennifer.
2: Absolutely. I'm excited to hear more about it.
0: I am as well. But one thing that's not so exciting for U.S. agriculture shots, once again, have been fired here for U.S., and Mexican trade relationships. As of this morning, we got official word that the US Trade Representative's office has requested formal trade consultations with Mexico over the objection of the limit to genetically modified corn. The USTR office last week announced the request for technical talks, excuse me, on Monday, announced the request for technical talks after months of these informal discussions that we've been reporting on. Now, today, we saw official word that these talks are going to be moved to a more formal stage, Jennifer, and Secretary Vilsack issued some comments today regarding this move to take things here to more technical agreements. He said these consultations represent the next step in addressing the United States concern with Mexico's biotechnology policies. While we appreciate the sustained active engagement with our Mexican counterparts at all levels of government, we remain firm in our view that Mexico's current biotechnology trajectory is not grounded in science, which is the foundation of USMCA. We remain unequivocal in our stance that the science around agricultural biotechnology has been settled for decades. And he later went on to say that, quote, we remain hopeful that our concerns can be fully addressed. Absent that we will continue to pursue all necessary steps to enforce our rights under the USMCA to ensure that US producers and exporters have full and fair access to the Mexican market. Jennifer, we just got word that he will be speaking at Commodity Classic Secretary Vilsack later this week. So I am going to guess there should be a media gaggle available to talk to him afterwards. I'm going to do my best to hit that. And I'm guessing that this is going to be a topic of discussion that we for sure hear ag reporters asking him about. So more to come, I'm guessing, later this week.
2: Absolutely. We are looking forward to hearing more information on that topic. And staying on the not so great side note, I have a story on potential poison attacks for schoolgirls in Iran. Worried parents protested in Iran's capital, Tehran, and other cities on Saturday over a wave of suspected poison attacks that have affected schoolgirls in dozens of schools, according to Iranian news agencies and social media videos. The so far unexplained illnesses have affected hundreds of schoolgirls in recent months. Iranian officials believe the girls may have been poisoned and have blamed Tehran's enemies. The country's health minister said the girls have suffered mild poison attacks, and some politicians have suggested the girls could have been targeted by hardline Islamist groups opposed to the girls' education. Jumping down further, it says that the schoolgirls were active in anti-government protests that began in September and where they removed their mandatory headscarves in the classrooms and tore up pictures of the supreme leader and called for his death, which is predicted to be potentially where some of these poison attacks may be stemming from.
0: Yeah, that doesn't sound like great news there for those people going on overseas yeah yikes well jennifer in other overseas news here as i mentioned earlier in the podcast we saw soy meal today pop up pretty heavily on the day that pushed uh soybeans higher along with it but we got some fresh estimates out late last week that the argentin argentinian soybean crop estimate is continuing to drop uh Soybean and corn advisor, President Michael Cordonier, cut his estimate by nearly two million metric tons. He's saying Argentina is a mess. They had an unbelievably early frost where it went from 85 degrees to a frost the same week. I think that was just maybe the week prior to when I was in Argentina. Obviously, we've seen the heaviest drought, I believe in 140 years is what They told us when we were on the ground in Argentina. And so we're starting to see a lot of firms continue to cut their soybean production estimates for Argentina, that's certainly feeding some fodder to the bull market here. And we'll get Matt Bennett's take on that in just a little while. But here stateside, we have a WASDI report coming out Wednesday morning as folks hit the ground in Orlando for Commodity Classic. So we'll see that released Wednesday, March 8th 8th at 11 a.m. Central Time. And uh, the corn estimate here, is at risk to be changed in this report. Since the February Wise report, May corn prices have fallen over 30 cents at the lack of export sales, likely as we've seen Brazil's numbers come online production come online there so we'll get matt bennett's take on what he expects to see out of the WASD report coming up in just a little while jumping
2: into my next story actually my final one that i have today brazil became the second country in the world after argentina to approve planting of gmo wheat following a decision by the nation's biosecurity agency ctn bio The approval request was made by plant genetics company Tropical Melhoramento e Genetica, a partner in Brazil of Argentina's BioCeres, who confirmed Brazil had concluded a safety evaluation of HB4, providing full approval for its commercialization and cultivation in the country. Brazil plants about 3 million hectares with wheat, Mostly in southern states like Rio Grande do Sul and Parana. According to BioSeries, its HB4 wheat is also approved for food and feed use in the US, Colombia, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and Nigeria, and for feed use only in Indonesia. So I would say that is pretty interesting information to look further into. I find GMOs interesting to learn about. So this was great for me to learn about this morning. Yeah. And as you were reading through that
0: piece of news, I was thinking to myself, I'm pretty sure when we were in Argentina back in February that there were a few folks from BioCeres with us. And I think I could probably get us an interview to talk about the new wheat announcement, Jennifer. So I'll work on my connections there.
2: Definitely. That would be amazing.
0: Yeah. I think that would be a good interview to talk about and see how that will impact uh, the marketplace. So with that, I have just one final piece of news here as well. And that is related to some protein labeling here for the U S market. We have some clarity around a new proposed regulation that we restrict the quote product of the US label on meat, poultry and eggs to animals only born and raised in the United States the USDA on Monday issued this new proposed regulation, which would effectively close a labeling loophole that has previously allowed products to use such a label for beef and pork that was simply repackaged in the United States. President Biden called for a reassessment of that labeling as part of his 2021 executive order on promoting competition in the American economy and a commitment made in the administration's action plan for a fair more competitive and more resilient meat and suppl- poultry supply chain. The White House said that this new proposed regulation will increase clarity and transparency by, again, closing the loophole there and only poultry, pork, and beef products born and raised in the United States would be able to have a product of the USA label. This would be a very, very big win for U.S. farmers and ranchers. And U.S. ranchers in particular have been pushing for this change for quite some time. So this would be definitely a win for U.S. agriculture and a step in the right direction, many are saying.
2: Absolutely. That is very great news to hear for many of our producers across the U.S.
0: Absolutely, Jennifer. But I tell you what, I am all out of news for today, aside from chat and markets here really quickly. What do you say?
2: Awesome. Let's jump into it.
0: All right. Well, we certainly had a little bit of an ugly day here in most of the grain markets. Soybeans really the only thing pushing higher. And unfortunately, they could not bring corn or wheat with them. May corn today closed two and three quarter cents lower at six thirty seven. New crop corn down a penny on the day to close at five seventy in the soybean pits rallying here hard on this Monday First day of the week trading session ahead of the WASD report we have later this week. May soybeans added 10 and a quarter cent at 15.29. November new crop beans added just six and a quarter cent to close at 13.79 and a quarter. Hard red winter wheat down hard today as the May contract shed 18.5 cents at 797 and three-quarters. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today. April live cattle are continuing to trick higher here as april live cattle closed 67 and a half cents higher at a buck 6610 i believe new contract highs for today April feeder cattle added 2 dollars half cents at a buck ninety-eight sixty. I think maybe contract highs there as well. And lastly, April Lean Hogs unfortunately could not follow the positive momentum going on in the cattle complex, shed a dollar oh seven at 83.47 and a half. Jennifer, without further ado, let's kick it over to our Market Monday conversation with Matt Bennett. As promised, we're chatting today with Matthew Bennett of agmarket.net. Matt, super excited because we're going to get to see you in person later this week at Commodity Classic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's kind of a, oh, what do you want to call it? kind of a Super Bowl of of conferences, if you will, you know, it's always kind of the last big one, but it's all also the biggest one, you know? So, um, you know, I've got the early riser Thursday morning and I think doing I think the first time I did, it was in Phoenix and I believe it was nine years ago and I'd never um, spoke at a commodity classic and they told me expect a big crowd, you know? I was thinking maybe a couple hundred people would be there, you know, <laughs> There's like 800 people in the room. I was like, this is crazy. But um, it was a lot of fun, though, you know, a lot of energy and enthusiasm and a lot of growers that are there just trying to set the tone for the year and try to get a, uh, you know, a good feeling about things as they uh, get ready to embark on a, on, a, on another growing season.
0: Absolutely. So because you have the early riser session on Thursday, give us a little teaser about what you're going to share with folks.
1: You know, the main thing that I've been trying to share all winter that I'm going to share again this week is that, you know, we've made as growers as a whole, and I know a lot of this is weather dependent, but as a whole, the U.S. growers made a lot of money over the last couple of years. And so um, unfortunate reality is that um, really high prices typically um, cure high prices. And, and, you know, how that goes, uh, we've seen uh, some demand exit building, if you will. And so. You know, we're in a session now or in a season now where um, I think a lot of growers need to be very cognizant of the fact that if you're uh, if you're basing what you expect to make as far as your 23 crop goes on what you made in 21 and 22, you might be mistaken and you might be very uh, frustrated with yourself whenever the year is said and done. So we've been trying to be very proactive with our growers to understand uh, that you can still lock in some worst case scenarios that are profitable, very profitable. Uh, Versus historic, maybe not versus last year and the year before, but versus historical type profit margin. If you can do that and still keep a flexible strategy, I think that's probably the best way to tackle this because I can see our balance sheet, uh, especially on corn, changing dramatically. You know, if we end up planting a 90 plus crop, and I think most of us feel that will be the case, you know, if you end up with trend line yields this year, it's going to make for a different balance sheet and a totally different discussion at Commodity Classic next year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's certainly no shortage of topics to talk about this week in particular, it feels like, because we've got spring crop insurance prices set, we've got a WASDE report this week, Matt, and we saw today a fresh bump in soy meal prices. Is that what contributed to today's rally in the soy complex altogether?
1: Yeah, I mean, so when you look at soybean meal getting back over $500 and the frustration, I guess, with world buyers, if you will, that, hey, this Argentina crop's just not getting fixed. You you saw a number today, Uh, people were talking about a 25 million ton number. I'm not laughing, I'm just, it's amazing, Delaney, that we started out talking a 50 million type crop, you know, and so obviously Brazil's got a bigger crop than a year ago, because they really struggled with that first crop last year, you know, they ended up a a little under 130, and so when you start talking about a a crop in the uh, 150 to 155 range this year, most people felt like well argentina will surely be able to you know have a decent crop but let's just face it they haven't caught the light of day uh, they have just simply had a frustrating situation the whole way through a lot of heat uh, a fair amount of uh, storm systems that kind of came through and disappointed if you will uh, you know a lot of forecasts that said hey 10 days out things are going to look better but the unfortunate reality for the argentine grower that day, that day never showed up. So uh, what we're looking at is, you know, what's USDA going to do? Uh, how much of this are they going to take on? Now, I'm not suggesting Argentina's 25. I'm just saying that there was a private estimate out there that said that. So I think me and my group, you know, right now we're, we're in the mid-30s. We feel like 36 or, or so is probably a fair number for this report. But the simple fact of the matter is you've extracted quite a bit of production out of Argentina over the last uh, six, eight weeks. And it's going to be very interesting once we finally get to a real number there.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the million dollar question, Matt is do we see USDA adjust Argentina production on this week's report?
1: I do. I do think that they adjust both corn and beans. I think somewhere between two and 4 million tons. USDA is usually very, uh, very much a slow play type situation when it comes to South American production. But I think the extreme conditions in Argentina would certainly, uh, uh, lead you to believe that there's going to be some reduction there. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they address uh, Brazil. I don't know that they'll make a whole lot in the way of adjustments, but uh, the lateness that the Sabrina crop is getting put in the ground typically correlates with some uh, issues towards the end of the growing season, whether you're talking dry season or whether you're actually talking some frost type situation. So, you know, I don't know that the USDA addresses it in this uh, in this particular report, but I would say that the uh, the data would suggest that a late-planted Sabrina crop isn't exactly what the Brazilian grower is looking for right now.
0: Matt, any other surprises or expectations that you think we'll see on this week's WASDE report?
1: You know, I, I think our group is, is thinking, yes, the USDA may go ahead and take a little more foreign demand out. We're not totally sure if they try to mess with exports. The thing you got to be careful with is if this corn uh, number out of Argentina continues to dwindle, you've got to think that uh, U.S. corn is going to be the main place people are going for corn over the next uh, few weeks. So, you know, I'm not so sure that they'll adjust uh, corn exports lower. If they do, I think they'll have to revise it back higher later, but I don't think as far as the U S balance sheet goes for either corn or beans, you're looking at any big surprises.
0: Okay. Matt, other things on the radar this week, what are you watching besides production and WASDE report? Once we get through that, what are the markets going to be trading?
1: Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I think that, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that we've got a massive report coming up here at the end of the month. And mm-hmm. so usually March uh, WOSB is kind of the, you know, the the younger younger uh, child or the younger sibling, if you will, of the uh, planning intentions reports. You got planning intentions and quarterly stocks. It, it's going to be a similar feel to the January report in that there's a wealth of information coming out and none of it. I I would say should be minimized. And so I do think once you get on past this report, we know the South American crop situation is well known. Uh, We want to keep a very close eye as to how this Ephrater crop comes along for sure. But I do think as you start to get some estimates out, uh, the chance that any outlier-type estimates could maybe get the trade's attention I think would be something to maybe watch for. Now, a lot of times whenever you get into a a situation post Wazdy, you'll maybe build a little bit of value into that planning and intentions number. I don't expect, after we saw markets kind of catch hold there last week, it was an impressive recovery, especially as far as soybeans were concerned, and then you extended that again today. I kind of expect to see uh, a sideways-to-higher-type market into that report.
0: Well, I think that's another million dollar question, Matt, is what is the agmarket.net acreage mix right now?
1: You know, we haven't submitted our final number. Delaney, all the meetings I've done this winter, I've been using 91 and 88 for corn and beans. I think those are fair numbers. The USDA coincidentally came out with a baseline number of 91. As far as their bean number, I believe they were 87 and a half, but you know, um, they were fairly close uh, to what we were kind of thinking. Now, our final number is probably going to be fairly close to 91. I do think that some of these swing acres, um, there's no doubt, beans have tried to work to get some of those acres, but at the same time, you've seen a nice reduction as far as what fertilizer costs are. So if you have a true swing acre and you want to go ahead and throw some fertilizer out there, particularly anhydrous, if a person's got flexibility and can take a tanker load, for instance, anhydrous on the farm, you can get it well under a 1,000 a ton, which most growers in the fall, you know, we're paying 12, uh, you know, anywhere from 11 to 1,300 a ton. So I think that uh, you still could get some of those swing acres that come in. But I do think you lose cotton acres, and then there'll be a big question mark on how many of these wheat acres might end up being abandoned if we don't see the western corn belt heal up from this long-term drought.
0: Yeah, and just even some of the recent storm damage we've had across some of the winter wheat plain areas too that's been something we've been watching here really closely is it all weather related trading that we've seen today with the sell-off in hard red winter wheat
1: you know you've got to think so Uh, a lot of folks are saying we feel like we're going to kind of heal up if you will we're going to get a fair amount of rain to finally come through a lot of the talk of transitioning out of la niña into a neutral inso, and then actually into uh, El Nino fairly quickly would suggest that you should see some relief there. You know, you have a fair amount of snow cover in the Rockies, and you've uh, obviously had some drought relief out west this year when you get into the extreme uh, drought as far as west of the Rockies. So you know, you've got to think this environment's changing just a little bit, and I sure kind of hope that that's what we see. Uh, the one thing I would tell you whenever you start talking about healing up in the western Corn Belt, uh, obviously we're those guys and gals get that relief but i'll tell you what i could have some gigantic implications in the market you start retaining heifers catalog feed numbers which are already quite a bit of what we saw a year ago uh boy i'll tell you why you could be looking at a dynamic situation especially that the u.s consumer doesn't back away from the table
0: yeah i mean that's the thing is Live cattle and feeder cattle, both have just been quietly in the background, creeping higher. You know, you look at April live cattle chart today. Did we touch new fresh contract highs today, Matt?
1: I believe so. To be honest with you, I spoke this morning and I know earlier in the morning we were up and then we kind of dropped back about a dollar and then we closed higher. I believe that we actually made a fresh contract high in your yeah. front month futures, but uh, you know, the thing about this fat cattle market essentially is that with your cattle on feed numbers, uh, you know, which i think about it. Our cattle numbers are the lowest we've seen in 60 plus years. And you also have extremely low cattle on feed numbers. Um, the bottom line is if the equities market can hold true and you get consumer confidence to at least hold together for the most part, I'll tell you what, you know, I, I could see these fat cattle uh, rallying another, oh, I don't know, 10 to 20 dollars. Uh, depending on uh, time frame, depending on uh, a lot of factors. But again, also depending on are we going to retain heifers? Because I do think a lot of these folks are going to want to retain heifers if you're able to get these pastures to start growing again. But be very interesting to see. I do expect the real fireworks in this cattle market to probably happen closer to the end of the year. But as you know, it's a futures market, so I think anything can happen.
0: Well, Matt, I think that's a good place probably to end us for today. Again, remind folks, you're going to be floating around Commodity Classic this week in Orlando. Where can they find you at the booth if they want to come and ask you some questions for themselves?
1: Yeah, so we've got an ag market booth. I've also got a couple, three speaking engagements. Of course, I've got the uh, one there Thursday morning. To be honest with you, Delaney and Betsy is going to kill me. I don't know the number (laughs) of booths. But uh, I should know this, but I will tell you, it'd be very easy to find it. So it's plastered all over our website. Uh, if you go to agmarket.net, you can not only get some info about us and what we do, but find out where to meet us there at the booth. There'll be a lot of folks such as you uh, that we're going to try to interview and try to interact with and just try to, uh, you know, have a fun time being able to uh, provide some value for the growers we work with.
0: Fantastic, Matt. Well, thanks again for joining us today on the podcast and looking forward to seeing you in Orlando. Oh, absolutely.
1: Looking forward to seeing you
0: too. Again, folks, that was Matt Bennett of agmarket.net there. And Jennifer, after we hopped off with Matt, I looked up the booth number. They will be at booth number 2943 at Commodity Classics. So I know Matt was kicking himself there. He couldn't remember the booth number, but... I told him, never fear. I will look it up and share it with our listeners for him.
2: Perfect. Everybody better go find him and visit with him then.
0: Absolutely. And you can find us this week at commodity classic as well tanner will be mostly i think floating around the john deere booth and then at some other booths as well interviewing folks for the farm for profit and ag news daily podcast so be sure to hit him up and you can also hit us up at ag news daily on facebook twitter and instagram let us know we'd love to connect with you in person but jennifer for now should we let the people go let's let them go